Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, um, I'm Charlie, the lead pastor here, and I'm also really glad that you are uh, worshiping with us today. Um, we have three kids. Um, they are 20, 17, and 6. And the, um, the six-year-old is kind of, you know, she's, she's kind of advancing beyond just being a little kid in some of the more creative forms of um, disobedience. Um, so it's not uncommon, um, unfortunately, in this current season that we're in to um, say, see, walk into the kitchen first thing in the morning, well, at least first thing in the morning for us. And it um, seems like there's already been a party that's gone on in, in the kitchen of some sort. And like, hey, how did those seven candy wrappers end up in the, um, in the, in the trash can or whatever? And so is it, we already, she already knows she's not supposed to do that, so this is, this is a problem. So you go into her room where she still is, and like, hey, what have you been up to this morning? You know, you're, you're holding off judgment, right? So, hey, what, 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 what have you been up to this morning? Oh, nothing, just playing in your room. So, another chance. So, you, you haven't left your room? No. So, you haven't been in the kitchen? No. So, you haven't gone into the kitchen and eaten any snacks? And you think eventually you're, you're, you're catching up with this, right? And, and, and the lie continues. And then finally, once the lie has been told enough times, like, that's it! I've seen the right eye! You know, and the wrath of dad comes, right? And to the kid... The wrath seems large and sudden, right? When in fact, there was this moment, this giant window even, of, of grace that was opened, right? I'm going to give you an opportunity before the judgment comes. There's a window of, of maybe we'll call it pre-repentance. I don't know, an opportunity for you to own up to what you've done. Maybe, maybe let's mitigate this judgment here a little bit. And so it may seem sudden, it may seem too strong, but there's actually, there's this grace all along the way of, I'm going to give you an opportunity before the judgment comes for you to make this thing right at what you've done. So here's the deal. I think we've gotten to this place where, where we read some of these stories in the Old Testament. We read some of these stories in the Old Testament, and what we see, the only thing that kind of jumps out us on the page is what feels like overwhelming harsh judgment from God. Like, whoa, that seems severe. He took out that whole town. What, what was going on? He's like, and, and so we get this picture in our mind that the Old Testament God is really, really mean. This God's mean. And then we contrast that and we decide, we look to read the Gospels like, Jesus is nice. And what I would like to suggest is that Jesus is not as sweet as what you think he is. Maybe you should just go back and reread it a little bit. He's got some harsh things to say to a lot of different people. But, I, but for today, I want us to recognize, and we're going to look at a, a, a pretty significant story here, that the God, of, the God as he's described in the Old Testament, God... He's not quite as severe and harsh, I think, as we make him out to be. Because even in these moments of judgment, we, we, see God, we, we see God acting in ways that demonstrate this compassion. Because I think beginning to end in the Scriptures, what we see in God is a God who is always calling and drawing people to himself. So last week, we kind of started this series called Archives. We're kind of looking at some of these different stories all throughout. We're kind of taking just like five of them in chronological order that I think can help 
put some pieces together for us in the big picture story of the Bible or maybe kind of help us shape uh, who we are, who God's character, who God is a little bit better than maybe what we have. And last week we looked at the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, they were all God called everyone to spread out so that the so that the world could be full and have this rich diversity all over everywhere. But they chose to not do that. They decided that they were going to cluster together. And so God did in one moment what, what should have taken a long time, which is to spread everyone out and to fill the world with rich, diverse cultures, which has wrongly led some people to think that, that diversity was a punishment when in fact it was God's value all along. And, and, and the richness of diversity of people and cultures and language and races was always God's plan A. But the people chose their own plan B, and so God put this plan on them. And the idea would be is that there would be people of all sorts of different races and cultures expressing worship to God in a variety of ways, which is a value of God. This diversity of worship and people and, and languages. And the hope was that they would all worship God in all these rich and unique ways. But that's not what happened. This tribalism starts and people begin to worship the gods really they literally have crafted from their own hands they're worshiping these idols and these false gods and so rather there there being this wide expression of worship of god we've got the this widespread idolatry but again the god of the universe is always drawing people he's always wanting to reach he's always wanting to restore people and so he sets up essentially his own tribe not to kind of make his tribe awesome and everybody else bad but to kind of show all of these tribal people what it would look like, what it really looks like what, when, when capital G God shows up. So he does this through Abraham and establishes his covenant with them to bless them in order that they can be a blessing to the whole world. And so we see this happening, and ultimately one of the big stories is when um, there's this worldwide famine in Egypt, and through some pretty incredible circumstances, God uses his people to save the world and the superpower from, from starvation and famine. But rather than Egypt responding to that with gratitude over a couple of generations later, they end up enslaving God's people. And in fact, they're enslaved for 400 years. Now we enter in Moses, kind of giving you a little backstory here, kind of the big picture of the Bible. You enter in Moses, who's the person that God calls up to deliver them from, from the slavery. And through these ten plagues, which just brings a lot of death and destruction to, this, to, to, to the primary superpower, in the world at that time, God frees his people. And they're supposed to go to this land that God has promised them. There's a lot of whining, complaining along the way, but they finally make it there, but they let their fear get the best of them. And rather than choosing to follow God and take the land that God's called them to, they pulled back. And so God says, hey, we'll give the next generation a chance. They kind of wander around in the wilderness for a while, and then ultimately the next generation becomes the, the adults, and God brings them back to the land that he's promised them. And in order to, to take this land, they're going to have to take out this city of Jericho. And that's the, the, the taking and the destruction of the city of Jericho is a story you may be familiar with. They end up, the army ends up marching around the city once a day and then seven times on the, on, the, on the seventh day. And the wall comes down. And then they take the city. You may be familiar with that story. You may not. You may be familiar with the VeggieTales version. It involves peas on a wall throwing slushies at people so it's not really in the Bible that part's not in the Bible but I wish it were it would be amazing so but before we get to that point before we get to the point where 
the, the, the judgment and destruction of Jericho happens, we have this story in Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua is the guy who was taking over leadership for Moses. So he's leading the people, and they're now on the edge of what's called the promised land. And in order to, they're going to have to, to drive these people out in some cases. In some cases, God is calling them to, to utterly destroy the city and all the people in it. And, and this story that we're looking at, the story of the, of the wall falling, you can, you can put peas on a wall and slushies and it makes it real cute. Or, or you can say they, they conquered the city and leave it at that and it becomes real cute. But actually it's a, it's, it's a devastating story and one of the most troubling stories in the Bible, I think, where essentially God tells his people to kill everyone in the city, which, which seems overly harsh. And when you think about it, it can really be paralyzing to you and to your faith and makes people kind of question who God is. But I think that if we focus too much on that story and we lose the, the picture of what it is that God has been doing and is doing for some time, I think if we, if, if we can do that, we get a better picture of not only what God did in that circumstance, but what God is trying to do in all of our lives. And so we find ourselves again here. They're on, they're, they're on the brink here. And Joshua chapter 2, Joshua is coming up with the plan of what they're going to do. Verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Can you stop here right now? Growing up, there was like, I always joke, there's like 52 stories in the Bible apparently, and we would just hear them every every. Every, every year they would just rotate them. We'd talk about the story in, in, in that, but we just kind of seemed to, 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 to pass over the point of um, these spies get sent to go scope out the land, and their first thought was, dudes, you know where we should totally stay. <laughs> right? We just, we, just, we, just, we, just, we, just, we just go past that. Like, we just, we just kind of pretend that these God's people here is what we're doing, right? It's just, it's, it's strange, and... and and, you know, I, I was reading some this week, and people say, well, it's because maybe that would be the place where uh, the, the powerful people would be least likely to find them, which, in fact, probably isn't true, right? I mean, it's probably where, where, where they would most likely be able to find them. And we're going to see, like, discover right here, they, the, the king knew right where they were. Hey, the king and the spies are at the prostitute's house. Like, how, how's the king know, right? And so it's interesting. It's just an interesting part of the story. That's the thing that I love about the Old Testament. They're not. They're not trying. To, they don't. They're not glossing over the, the the ugly parts. We do. We pretend they're not there, but but the Bible doesn't. So here they are. This is the this is the spies' plan. We're going to save this prostitute, but then you're going to see God do something amazing. Verse two. The king of Jericho was told, "Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land." So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time, uh, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, 
so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sahan and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. It's a really long story. We'll kind of pause here at the halfway point, make sure we know what's going on. So they've gone to hang out with the prostitute. Apparently they were babbling to people there at the brothel about who they were and what they were doing, which seems like terrible spy strategy. And so the people found out, and so the people tell the king, and the king's like, hey, there's these spies here that, 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 that have come to, to, ch- to check us out. And so the king says, give, give them to us. And so then Rahab lies. It's like, I, they, they left, I don't, and I don't know where they're going, but in fact she'd hidden them. Well, why would she do that? Well, she says, well, she says like, hey, we've heard all the stories. We heard about what happened in Egypt. We heard about what happened after you left in Egypt when, 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 when God opened up the sea and, and you went through and then God swallowed up the Egyptian soldiers. We heard, we, soldiers, we heard about that. And then we heard about what happened to these two kings over here on the east side who, who opposed you and tried to, tried to stop you and, and that you guys just wiped them out. And let me tell you, the whole city is, is afraid. We're scared to death. These stories, you don't, you don't need an internet, you don't need a postal service, you don't need a television, you don't need a radio. These kinds of stories travel. And the whole city knew that not just these, it wasn't just, we're scared these warmongers are coming. We know for certain, because of the stories that we've heard, that the God, capital G, of the universe is with you. And we are all paralyzed with fear. Verse 12, Rahab's still talking. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hill so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Excuse me. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. So, 
this story, all these stories of, of what God had done for these people is, 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 has, has reached their, their ears, and everybody knows about it, and everybody's scared to death. But Rahab does something about it. She goes, she makes sure that she protects the spies when they come, and she makes this deal with them. Please, please spare me. And, and, and all throughout the New Testament, as the story is retold, it's told as, as a story of incredible faith in God. It's not just, I don't want to die, but it's this, I want to be connected and be a part of what God is doing here in your community. She ultimately ends up being the great, great, dot, 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 grandmother of Jesus. We see that in Jesus' genealogies. And she becomes this incredible um, person in, in Jewish history. Because in a moment, in a moment when she was completely and totally gripped by fear, rather than surrendering to the fear, she surrenders and gives her heart and life fully to God. And so she makes this deal. And then the next thing that she thinks is, not just me, but all my family and the people that are connected to them. I, I, I want them all to be saved from this. And so he makes this deal. It's okay, sure. You bring them and put them here in your house, and you put this ribbon up there, and I'll make sure everybody knows. Don't go, don't go into this one house, and everybody who's in there will be saved. And so what's going to happen... What's going to happen next as we continue on in the book of Joshua is this, is this annihilation of this city. And if you focus exclusively on that, it just feels like judgment of God. These aren't my people. I don't like these people. I'm taking these people out. It's just judgment. But the reality of it is, is that judgment was preceded by a lot of love from God. If we'll just see it here in the story. In fact, we'll just say it this way, that God's judgment is always preceded by overwhelming grace. Always. Now, we talk about grace, we're talking about the compassion of God that you don't deserve. With that closely goes the idea of mercy, which is probably a better word here, maybe. Mercy being the withholding of punishment out of compassion and love. And so we, 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 you could skip ahead to the judgment, but look at what God has already done. It has been, let's just say it's been about 50 years since the Red Sea happened and, and God consumed the Egyptian army. It's been about 50 years. And for those 50 years, as they have been coming to this point, God has been communicating a message to the people of Jericho. The way that you are living your life is not right. The God, small g, that you are worshiping is no God at all. You need to stop this, and you need to worship the capital G God, and you need to stop this life that you're living, and you need to live differently. For 50 years, minimum, he has been communicating this to them over and over and over again, even to the point to where they got on the edge of Jericho 40 years ago. And it was Israel's fear that kept them from going but from Jericho's perspective, it is the grace and mercy of God to say, Hey, 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 judgment's coming. You need to do something about this. And you can think, I think you're just making that up. You're just reading that into the passage. I, I'm not the one making it up. It's Rahab that said it. Rahab said it. Everyone in their town got the message. The message is, God is in Israel, and our judgment is coming. So God was very clear with the message. Everyone got it. 
The difference is Rahab responded to it. It wasn't that they didn't know. It wasn't that God wasn't merciful. It wasn't that they weren't clear about who God was and who they were. Now, it doesn't mention kind of what it doesn't mention here in this passage really what Jericho was like. You could study this and find out, but they, obviously they weren't worshiping God. And they were living in ways that was that was they were separate from God. They were living in sin, and God is bringing judgment to them. But before judgment comes, God is begging them, please, please come to me. Please come back to me. And Rahab, they all hear the message, and only Rahab responds. And even if you want to go back to Egypt, and Egypt, that's kind of a scary story too, when God brings these plagues on Egypt. God brings these plagues on Egypt, and ultimately in the tenth plague, is the firstborn son in every home is killed. And you can look at that and you think, well, that's a terrible story too. I think we don't, we don't, we don't get as worked up about that one because, I mean, these people were slavers, right? We don't, we don't really get too worked up about the, the judgment that comes on slavers in general, or especially those who have kept God's people enslaved for 400 years. We don't, we don't exhibit a whole lot of sympathy towards them. But even still, the judgment might seem harsh. But God had already done an incredible miracle amongst them by saving them by supernatural means through the capital G God of the universe. But they continued to worship their small G God. And they did this awful thing to God's people. But rather than bringing that judgment right then, God holds off. And this has always bothered me a little bit. Why would God keep his people enslaved for 400 years? Sure, they shouldn't have stayed in Egypt. God told them they needed to go back to the promised land. They didn't. They stayed. They chose safe. They chose relative prosperity and ease and comfort over God's call in their life. They deserved to be punished. Maybe slaves for a couple years, five years, ten, ten years. Not 400 years. But what if, what if it was mercy for the Egyptians that for just a little bit longer... They could experience what having God's people amongst them was like. And all of these things, some of these trials that, the, that, the, um, that God's people are going as they're leaving Egypt and headed to Jericho, the delays and the complaining and, and, and the twists and turns is extending more and more grace to these people because they all had a choice they could choose to follow God or not. And you all have that same choice. In the same way, I am sure that there are many of us here right now who know something isn't right. And, and when you hear this description of Rahab saying that fear and anxiety have overwhelmed me, and I know, and you say, you know that the way that you're living is not the right way, and that you also are disconnected from God. You know something's not right, and you have this sense that something bad is happening and something worse may be coming. I think the question for us, are, are we going to respond like Rahab did, was in that fear, surrender to God, or be crippled and paralyzed by it, by apparently the rest, like the rest of Jericho was. Our hope and prayer is that right now, the thing that you're experiencing right now, even as you may be gripped with fear and uncertainty and, and shame, 
that you would not surrender to that. But you would do what Rahab did and see in that the very voice of God calling you back to Him. As judgment is withheld, it's held back. He is asking for you to come back and to repent in the same way that Rahab did. And for those of you in that situation, that's our hope and prayer for you. But for all of us, we all all need to take another page from Rahab's book. Because the next thing that she did, once she realized, wait a second, I see what God is trying to do here, big picture, and how this affects me. I need to give my life to Him. Her next thought was, what about everyone else? And so essentially, it's like, if, if I get everybody in here into this house, everyone that I care about, everyone I love, will you spare them too? And they say, sure. And so your response to be like Rahab is first and foremost, you know, if you need to make that same surrender to God, you need to do it. But ultimately, your other job is this, is that our job is to fill the house. Our job is to fill our house. To set out the red scarlet in the window and say, everybody who comes here can be saved from this thing. Because again, what were the people of Jericho, what were they like? They were overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with anxiety, and realized them individually and as a culture had destroyed themselves and the judgment of God was coming. They did not have to be convinced. Their problem was not, they lacked an awareness of the problem. That was not their issue. Awareness was not the issue. An assessment of, okay, there's an issue, and here's what's going to happen if things continue. That wasn't their problem either. Their problem was simply their response. They surrendered to the fear. And I'm telling you, we as God's people have an opportunity now that may may not have been true for a long time for us. You don't have to go, you don't have to work real hard to go to people and say, you think the world's broken? Are you crippled with fear and anxiety about the future? Are you hurting and broken? Are you aware that people's choices are, 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 through our choices, we're destroying ourselves? We don't have that problem. People know. But how did the people of Jericho respond? Well, a lot of them responded with kind of a blind hopeless hope of well, maybe, maybe they'll turn back again. Or maybe they're trying to come up with their own solution to the problem. When it was, they were the problem, it was your ideas and plans that got us here, and it's not your ideas and plans that aren't going to get out of us. Get, get us out of this. Maybe they're going to continue to rely on themselves. Maybe they're, they're, they're just going to hope it just goes away. Or maybe they're just going to completely surrender to fear, which is what people everywhere always are doing. Maybe, maybe it won't happen. Cross your fingers. Maybe if we just, this, 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 it'll all work out. Or maybe you just surrender in hopelessness. And all around you there are people like that. That God is calling you to come to and give the message of hope and life through Jesus to them. It's real interesting. I think the the the, the call it foreshadowing of the of, of the crimson could have been any color in the world. If it was the color of blood, 
a symbol all throughout the Old Testament and ultimately one of the greatest symbols we have of Jesus' sacrifice to us. That they were going to be saved by coming to where the crimson was. Which is the exact same opportunity that we have and the same opportunity that we need to be giving to the people around us. I think Rahab made the decision she did different than everybody else because she knew in that moment she didn't have anything left to lose. Her life had hit rock bottom a long time ago. There's no way at five, six, seven years old that this is where she imagined where her life was going. And she was at the end of herself. And then being at the end of herself, she was humble and responsive and ready. And that's where we need to be. I'm not, I'm not going to keep looking to myself for more solutions. I'm not going to close my eyes and hope it all goes away. But I'm going to fully trust in God and, and bring that hope to those around me so that the house will be full. We've worked really hard over these last several years create an environment here in this church that we'll just, call, we'll just call it safe. That you can hear messages about judgment and sin and destruction and not feel that we're, 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 trying to, we're try, not trying to hurt you. We're trying to bring hope and life to you. That no matter what your background is, no matter what sin it is you're bringing with you, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter who you were, that you can come here and safely and, and with love hear a message of hope and life. That's the kind of church that we're trying to be. Our prayer is that that would also be how your life is. That the people around you who have surrendered to fear and anxiety and hopelessness and, and only have destruction and more despair in their future, that they would see in you safety and hope and life. And guess what? You can just bring them here and we together, we can partner. You can be confident that most weeks they're going to hear a very uh, a plea about what it means to be restored in life with God through his, son, through his Son, Jesus. And you can build this relationship of bringing them into your house to help them know and have life with God through Jesus Christ. So as we worship and respond, I just encourage you, if you are still in a place where you would say I, I, that, that, that the characteristic of your life is fear and hopelessness, anxiety, that you would do what Rahab did and respond with surrender. That's what the, the death of Jesus Christ does. It was given for you so that you could be restored into a relationship with God that you would just surrender to that rather than continuing to surrender to fear. I pray that you would do that. Don't wait. Don't wait till you lose the next thing. Don't wait. Well, maybe this one thing will turn around. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. Do it now. Don't wait. And I just pray for all of us that you would just ask God, God, who are the people in my life that you would want me to reach out to? And then pray that God would give you an opportunity and it'll be really interesting if you were to do that. God, give me, show me some people and give me the opportunity. You're, you're going to surprise yourself 
God's going to surprise you. We'll say it this way. God's going to surprise you by answering that prayer. I was just praying for this person just the other day at church on Sunday, and then dot, 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 they just showed up randomly here at Tuesday. That's weird. No, it's not weird. It's what I pray for. Because the God of the universe who is extending mercy and grace everywhere, He cares about these people more than you do, and He is desperately trying to draw them into the house. And it's a great, amazing privilege to be used by God in such a situation. So let's just all pray together. As always, there's the prayer team back there that would love to pray with you. If you, if, if you need some help kind of shouldering some of the burdens you brought here with you today, there's communion available, there's prayer candles, you can pray at the cross. We have an opportunity to give back to God. And it's an incredible, awesome thing that we get to do. We get to give we pool our resources, and God continues to create this incredible safe place where people are finding hope and life through Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to continue to make that a priority in your life as we join together in this awesome thing that God's called us to. But let's respond to God with prayer and watch Him do awesome things in our lives and in the people around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for Rahab. God, what an incredible story. God, I thank you for her courage. I thank you for her wisdom, and I thank you for her insight. And God, I thank you that it came from an unexpected place and that we see in her wisdom and humility and a willingness to surrender. And God, I pray that we would do the same. That we would trust in your Son and the life that he offers. And God, I pray that you would give us Rahab's heart of compassion as well. That our first thoughts would always be, what about the people around me? What about the people who don't have any hope? What about the people who don't know? That God, that you would give us eyes to see the hurting of those around us and to make a difference. God, I thank you for everyone here and I just pray that you would be drawing us all closer to you. And we thank you for your son who makes it all possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.